0: I told you a couple of weeks ago that this morning we're going to talk about is heaven is for real? For real? Uh, there's a book going around that that is a number one New York Times bestseller, and it's called Is Heaven or, or Heaven Is for Real? Um, and it's a it's a story about this kid Colton Burpo, and that's his real last name, and uh, he claims to have gone to heaven, and so this is his account as before he's four years old this happened to him, and this is his account as he told it. To to his father, um, and so, so I wanted to look at this. Now, before we talk about this little book here, the one of the things that I want to point out is that there's this weird phenomenon that happens among believers, is that as soon as we see something about heaven, or we see something in Lifeway, like if it's, if it's in a store like that, a lot of the times, and I'm guilty of this too, we turn our brains off. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, we see it and we're like, oh, heaven, of course, everything must be true, right? Like, because we want it to be true. And and the same thing about things we don't agree with. As soon as we see things and we're like, you know what? I don't know. I don't like that. I don't like that guy. I don't like it. So we just turn our, we completely turn their brains off and we say, nope, shun it, right? Like, we get it out of here. And so, one of the things, I'm not coming this morning to tell you you need to read this. I'm also not coming here this morning to tell you not to read it. Um, What I I am coming to tell you this morning ...is that we need to think more critically... ...and what I want you to do is I want you to test things. And I want you to test all things. And it's not just me, it's what the scripture says. It says here in 1 Thessalonians 5.21... ...but test everything, hold fast to what is good. In other words, what I'm saying is that... ...I don't want you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Meaning like not everything is is 100% good... ...and not everything is 100% evil, right? But what we need to do is we need to test everything... Uh, And hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is true. And now, now I'm not telling you to be a cynical person. Uh, a cynical person is not at all what Christ has called us to be. Cynical people will throw a baby out of the bathwater because a cynical person will think the baby made the water that way and they're, they're inherently evil, right? Like a cynical person is the opposite of a joyful person. So I'm not telling you to be cynical. But what I am telling you to do is think, is think. So what do we test everything by then? You're saying, test everything, what do you mean? By what you say, absolutely not, all right? My wife will be the first one to tell you I am not 100% accurate. All the time, 99% maybe, right? But 100%, that's, that's pretty, that's pushing it, all right? But what do we test it by? And we test it by the Word of God. And, and why do we do that? Because the Word of God's useful. Check this out. In Second in Timothy 3.15, I'm going to begin reading there from infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, so let's look at this. So the Word of God is useful. Check this out. The Word of God, it says, is God-breathed. Now, that should be good enough for us, okay? That means God-inspired, all right? Like like God, uh, He he ordained the pages of this book, and if you think about how it came together, it's an amazing book, okay? It's infallible. Now, I don't mean that like, that, like oh, well, this manuscript we had, had uh, it had a spelling error, so it's not infallible. I don't mean that. What I mean is that there's a consistency of message. From the beginning to the end, it never contradicts itself on what God desires of all mankind, right? And so it's infallible. And think about it. There are 23,000 archaeological digs that have been done directly related to to the claims of the Bible and do you know how many of them have found the Bible to not be true? Zero. We have 600 manuscripts that are within 20 years uh, removed of the original, alright? There is no other book like this book. It is amazing and that should be enough for us. If it's God-breathed, alright, good enough. I'll test everything by it. But let's keep going. It's, it's very useful. Check this out. It says it's useful for teaching and that means to learn about God, for us to learn about God. It says it's, it's useful for rebuking and this is to, for teaching us others. This is for answering others. When other people have questions about God, you don't just go, uh, uh, I feel like... No, all right, Like, that's not good. It's for... It comes from the truth of the Word of God, for rebuking, for correcting. And correcting doesn't mean walking around correcting other people. It means correcting yourself. It means a daily correction of yourself. And and, and here's what I mean by that. If we neglected the Word of God, and we were just like, you know what, I... I feel like this is okay. I feel like this is not. My feelings change like all the time, you know? And and some of you, your feelings change with the wind, right? And some of you are like, well that's pregnancy. I know, alright, alright, like back up. But but like feelings are fickle, but truth is not. And so when we're in the Word of God, you can fool yourself all day long that what you're doing is the right thing. But when you come face to face with the truth of God, and when He says, "Mm, no, this isn't good for you, then you can't fool yourself with that. And so it's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's useful for correcting. It's useful for training in righteousness. And what does that mean? That means actively doing what it's telling you to do. It means living out this law of Christ that we've been talking about. And so the word is useful, but only what? If you use it, right? It's only useful if you use it. And so we need to start thinking scripturally. We need to start testing everything from the scriptures. And when we do this, things become helpful and not hurtful. Let me use this book as an example. Let me use this book as an example. When you see, when you, when you read this book from a scriptural standpoint, there are things in here that I found helpful. In chapter 11, there's a story of, uh, his dad was doing a funeral and uh, the little boy uh, asked his father, did he know Jesus? And the father said, you know, I don't know. Because when you're a preacher, some people will call you to ask you to do a funeral and you just really have no idea, right? Like you didn't know the guy. You don't know. And so he said, did he know Jesus? He says, well, I don't know. And the little boy flips out and he starts like beating he says starts beating on his thighs and he's saying he had to know he had to know and he's like crying and he says why you know why are you acting like this and he says because if he doesn't know Jesus then he won't go to heaven and so that i found that extremely useful because as i read that like this kid is living in the reality that there's something greater than this world and he's living with the reality that there are people who will be separated from the love of god now and forever and so he was upset. And I can't remember the last time I got upset for the loss like that. Jesus wept for the loss. And I can't remember the last time that it even inconvenienced me. Do you understand? And so I found that helpful because I found it in the scriptures as well. I found it helpful when he talked about um, loving uh, Jesus loving children and being in the lap of Jesus. And, and it, the book talks about having faith like a child. I found that helpful because it comes right from the scriptures. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said... Um, when they were trying to bring children to him, the disciples were trying to keep them away. And Jesus told them this. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And so I realized, I started to think about faith like a child. And I started to think, what does that mean? Children back then ha- held no status whatsoever. What we just did right here with, you know, like, like we gave them gifts and we're talking about how cute they are and we dedicate No not at all all right in the first century they were they held no uh, status whatsoever there was not a babies are us right like you didn't show pictures of your kids off it was they were just uh, they were really an inconvenience until they got old enough to help you all right and so that's like that that this idea is that we don't come to god with any status we don't come to god saying like well look what i did right we come to god saying i am helpless without you i am nothing without you and so i'm fully Yours, and so I found it helpful with that. I found it helpful with that because it it was based in the scriptures, Now I was based in the scriptures, and the things I saw there were helpful now, what happens when we don 't test things? What happens when we don 't test things and we don 't hold fast to what is good? Keep reading in second Timothy, check this out in chapter four he says. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Do you hear what it says? they will hear what they want to hear. They will gather teachers around them that will tell them what they want to hear. And that's what we do. Like by default, I want to hear things that make me feel good, right? If I have a choice of of coming face to face with some difficult truth about myself or having someone just like pour sugar in my ear, you know what I mean? Like just talk about how great I am. Probably nine times out of ten, I'm going over to this guy, right? Like that's how we are. We want to, we want to hear what we want to hear. And so when you back out of the truth of God, you start to just default back to that. I want to hear what I want to hear. I want to believe what I want to believe. And if I can use this book as an example again, I did that with this. Like, without the, the, the truth of God, without looking at everything scripturally, I wanted to believe everything I read and hear. The first half of the book talks about this, this incredible story of what this family went through. And it's, it is. It's an incredible story. And you just care about them. And so, after it, you want to be like, I hope all this happened to him. Because he went through so much, right? I, I just, I want to believe it so badly. And there's some incredible things that happened in this book. You know, he met his his uh, his sister who was, uh, who, who died in the womb, uh, he met, you know, his, his great grandfather who he didn't know before and all these things. And you're like, man, that's a great story. I really, I, I really hope this is true because I feel like it should be because it's a good story. Right. And so when we, we start to just hear what we want to hear, but when we do that, when we don't test everything by the scriptures and we start to miss major truths about God. And Let me use this book again as an example. In chapter 13, he starts to talk about what people will look like in heaven. And he says that we basically look like angels. Everyone has wings. And he even talks about halos. And he says everyone in heaven has wings except for Jesus. Jesus doesn't have, halo, uh, doesn't have wings. Everyone flies, but Jesus kind of floats around. Right? Which is kind of cool. But anyway, so he he talks about that. But the Bible says in Job 38 that we are nothing like angels. When when he created everything around us, uh, uh, when he created all of creation, the angels were there. We were not. We're not angels. And, And it also says in Hebrews 2 that we'll rule over them. Alright? So we are nothing like them. And I find it interesting that Jesus, is His glorified body, according to Colton, has no wings, but we do. So our glorified bodies get an upgrade, but Jesus's don't? That doesn't really make sense, and, and what it does is it loses our identity. Here's an amazing thing. You were knit together in your mother's womb by God Himself. He made you the way He made you for that reason. You see how weird I look and how my DNA came together to make this bizarre thing? This was God's design. So don't hate, alright? That's God, okay? This is God's design. And so when when my body's glorified, my DNA will be glorified. And it will be made perfect. I don't know how much more perfect it can get, but it'll be made perfect, right? And the same thing with you. He's not going to add wings. He's not going to try to make me look like any other creation. He's going to try to make me look like he wants me to look. He's going to make me look like the creation he made, right? Uh, we are uniquely designed by God and you will be glorified uniquely in that way, not to make it look like anyone else, right? And so we miss that truth. And I listened, I started searching for interviews for Colton, because I knew he did a lot of interviews. And he made a claim in one of his interviews. They said, did you see God? And he said, absolutely. Now, we have a problem with that, (laughs) number one, because uh, the Bible says no one will see him and live. So him seeing God and then coming back, right? That doesn't really make sense. But he says when he saw God, that God was a giant angel. He said he was huge, and he had wings, and he was just big. He said, I couldn't really see his face very good, but he was just this big, giant angel with these huge wings. Jesus said in John 4 that God is spirit. And so when I start to see that, if I just believed what this kid said, then I would have missed part of the nature of God. I would have missed part of the mystery of who God is, right? And so um, I I think one of the biggest things that I, I, I wanted to believe was true was he talked about this story about there was another girl who um, she had died. Colton never died. She she her heart had stopped, and she said she went to heaven and she saw Jesus. And Colton, every time after this, uh, the, his parents every time they see a painting of Jesus, they say, "What's wrong with this one?" You know, like like because he'd always say the eyes aren't right, the hair's not right, the beard's not right. And so this girl went through this this same experience, and and she painted a picture of Jesus, and it was this picture that you're looking at right now. And she painted this picture. Of Jesus, and they brought it to Colt, and they didn't tell him what it was, and they said, what's wrong with this one? And he was just silent. And they kept pressing and pressing, and he said, it's perfect. This is him, right? Now, when I saw that, I immediately wanted to get to the image, because I knew they had to put the image in here. And, and, and my heart starts to like skip a beat, because I'm getting excited. Could this be the face of Jesus? Like, could this be the face that I want to see more than any other face on this planet, more than anything else in all of creation? Could this be, like, the lover of my soul is his face in here, right? And I started to get so excited, and I wanted to believe it beyond, like, anything else. And I looked at this picture, and I must have looked at this picture forever. And I just stared at it, and I'm like, is this it? Is this your face? And I I was excited and all these things, and I started to think... What an awful, awful disservice having the image of Christ would be for us. Do you know why? Because if this is his face, do you know what I'm doing today? I'm going to get a giant tattoo of this on my chest. Right? You know what I mean? I'm going to go get it printed up a million times. I'm going to put it in my car. It's going to be on my mirror. It's going to be in every wall of my house. Like, I am going to love this image. Right? I'm going to find the original. And if I can't afford it, I'm going to steal it. All right? Like, and I understand the hypocrisy. But I, like, I would love it. Right? I would love it. Right? And I started to think, like, no. (laughs) You know, if I want to love Jesus, it's not an image of him. If I want to love Jesus, then I'll love him in his word. Because that's what the scriptures tell us. And so when we test it against the scriptures and return to it, here's what it says in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I started to think, wait a second. Loving Jesus is to love His Word because this is where I'll find Him. I won't find him in some painting by an eight-year-old. I'll find him in his word. And so we have to hold fast to these things, and we have to test everything by Scripture. So you might say, should I read this book? Okay, like just tell me. That's why I'm here. Should I read this book? Can I go home and read it, right? Or or why did you make me read this book? If you ask me, should I read this book? It's, It's basically like asking me, should I read any book that's not the Bible? That's basically what you're asking me because that's the answer I'm going to give you. And here's what I'll tell you. Here's what I'll tell you. By testing all things by Scripture, then almost, almost anything can become helpful. Now, I I preface that by almost. We can go to the utmost extreme and, you, you know, you can just claim some crazy, crazy things. You know, like you picked up a Playboy, but I had my Bible and I read that God created Adam and Eve and I want to see the differences, right? Like, you can take it to an extreme that obviously is sinful and, and not helpful. And, and there are obviously some books that, that can take, you can take it to an extreme that would not be helpful. However, from if you're scripturally sound then you can, most things can become helpful. And let me give you an example. This book, there's some things in it that I did not find helpful. And there's some things in it that I would not recommend to you. However, I already mentioned things that I found helpful because it drove me back to the Scriptures. I have a copy of the Book of Mormon. Is the Book of Mormon a, a, a book of lies and deception? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. But I have it. And I look at it from time to time. Why? Because as I'm firmly rooted in, the, in the, uh, the scriptures and the truth of God, I can look at this and I can learn from it. And I can learn from it because as I go and I can learn what other, what people believe and what they bought into. And I can learn and see what's deceiving them. And so that when I talk to them, I can tell them the, the truth of Christ. Because I know the, false, the falsehood that they believe. But I'm firmly rooted in the scriptures, so I'm not shaken by it. Now, I'm not recommending all of you go do this. What I am recommending you to do is to be firmly rooted in the Scriptures. That's what I'm recommending. If you say, should I read this or shouldn't I? All I'm going to tell you is be firmly rooted in the Scriptures before you attempt anything. Um, and And number one, it just protects, overall, it protects your affections for Jesus. That's what the Scriptures do. But by neglecting the Scriptures, all things can become destructive. I'm not kidding. All things can become destructive. And you say, all things? Great. Surely you don't mean all things, all right? Your sermons that you bring could never be destructive, all right? Number one, get the sarcasm out of your voice. But uh, number two, absolutely it could. If all you did was come in here on Sundays and you listen to me talk and talk and talk, there is probably at some point in my life, and I don't know when, but there's probably things that I hopefully, hopefully this will never happen, but there might be things that I say that just aren't true, that I might just say off the cuff. That it might just be me talking. And you might buy them. You might just hook, line, and sink or just buy it. And you might miss the truth that God has for you in his word. Also, maybe, maybe everything I say is true. But if you aren't investigating it in the word of God. And you aren't encountering Jesus in the word. The word that became flesh. You're not encountering him in the word. Then you know what you're going to do just by listening to me every Sunday? You're going to attach yourself to my faith. And you're never going to grow your own. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you're going you're gonna to attach yourself to me, and, and you're going to say, man, that was good. I, I like what he's doing. I believe what he says, right? And your faith will be in me, and it won't be in Jesus. Without sticking firmly rooted in the Scriptures, all things can become destructive. All things. But the most glaring problem I had with this book And this is kind of what I want to address in these final few minutes together. The most glaring problem I had with it was that it talked more about the byproducts of heaven than it did the main point of heaven. He talked about meeting family members, and that was a great thing. And he he talked about how happy it was there and learning in heaven. He talked about the singing of the angels and all these things. And his parents focused a lot on the byproducts of heaven. You know, the good things that come from heaven. But they missed the main point. And so real quick, in Revelation 21, I want us to look at the purpose of heaven, the life of heaven, and the people of heaven. So if you have your Bibles, look at Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look real quick. Number one, the purpose of heaven. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So the purpose of heaven is to be the bride of Christ. And what does that mean? What does that mean? A bride longs for nothing else more than to be with who? her groom. That's what it means. So here's what this means. The two become one. The Bible describes heaven. It it describes marriage. So heaven is simply an intimacy with God, us being reunited with him in a way we've never seen him before and and to be like that forever. Marriage is this, it's a very, it's a very intimate thing. It's, It's like an ownership type thing. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, and, and so, you know, Angela and I, we talk about that a lot. You know, like, like, you belong to me, I belong to you, this type thing, this like, you know, ownership thing. And, you know, so when we talk about, we always, she, you know, guys, if you've been married longer than 10 minutes, then your wife have, has had this conversation with you. And it's usually a trap. She'll say, if I were to die, would you ever remarry? That's a trap, guys. Don't answer that. All right? Like, it's just not a good thing. But we always, like, kind of joke about that. Like, would you remarry? And, you know, and, and I always say, you know, like, of, co- you know, of course not. You're just so, you know, just so perfect. Unless the right girl were to come along at the funeral, right? And so, like, we, like, we, you know, we, we kind of joke about that. And, and so one day she was talking about it and she said, she said, you know, I think, I think I'm going to have this just giant portrait painted of me. You know, so if you ever did remarry, you know, you'd have that. And I said, I don't think she'd have a problem with that. You know what I mean? Like, why? It's just a picture. It's just a picture, right? And she said, no, no, I'm going to have really expensive jewels painted all over the picture. And I was like, what is that going to do? And she said, because if you do remarry, then she's going to go crazy looking for those jewels. You know? And so anyway, like we kind of talk about that. There's like an ownership that's in marriage and and that's what we're talking about. That's the point of heaven. It says, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. If you aren't living to love him now and to know him now and to see him better now, day by day by day, you're going to hate heaven. You're going to hate it because that's the point. The point, the main point is not to see my loved ones. I, I, that's going to be a great day to be re- reunited with my loved ones again. It's not just that the, the consequences of sin are gone. The main point's Jesus. The main point is to see him and to love him and to know him and to have him know me in a way that I've never known before. We look at Paul. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. If a non believer, Let's just say a non-believer were thrown into heaven. It would be hell to them. Do you know why? Because they don't love Jesus. Their life hates Jesus. The way that they live is the opposite of Jesus, right? The point of heaven is not just happiness and playing harps and, you know what I mean, and whatever else. The point of heaven is Jesus. And it's loving him and knowing him. And so let me make kind of a bold statement. And I don't make this lightly, and I think I do it from a scriptural standpoint. If you don't love him now, and don't desire him now, and don't seek him now. I'm not saying if you don't go to church or any of that. If you don't love him now, don't desire him now, don't seek him now. What makes you think you will in eternity? What makes you think when you get to heaven, oh, a a switch is going to get flipped. So let me say it a different way. If you don't love him now, don't desire him now, don't seek him now. Then maybe heaven isn't your destination. Because Jesus is the point of heaven. Knowing him, loving him, enjoying him. That's the point. And so if that's not your point now, that's not your purpose now, well then maybe heaven isn't your ultimate destination. So that's the point of heaven. Let's look here. Life in heaven. What's that going to be like? Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What does that mean? Sin is dead. It's saying sin is dead, and so all of its consequences are dead. Suffering, death, mourning, crying, pain, all of it is dead. And why? Why? Because we're glorified. Because now we're made like we were supposed to be all along, without the consequences of sin. Romans 8, 29-30 says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Check this out in verse 30. And those He predestined, He also called, and those He called, He also justified. I mean, being made right with God. And those He justified, He also, what? Glorified. Can you imagine a world glorified can you imagine a world set right that's what that means glorified a world set right set perfect okay think about that like that jesus at the center of everything jesus at the center of all of our lives so everything is perfect can you imagine a world like that think about it like this relationships are perfect why because he's at the center and just put that in contrast to relationships now. Relationships now aren't perfect because let's let's face it, we're all selfish to some point, and we want to get our way, right? You know, it's kind of like uh, I heard these two women were talking, and this this wife said, "You know, it thanks to me, my husband's a millionaire." And the the other woman said, "What was he before you? A multimillionaire, right?" Like we are. We're selfish people at times, and we have our own agendas, and other people have their own agendas. And when those clashing agendas come together, there's consequences, and there's tension, and there's all kinds of things. But with Jesus at the center, there's no more pride, there's no more selfishness, so there's no more consequences of that. So relationships are what? Perfect. And they're filled with the perfect love of Jesus, because He's at the center. And think about it, your joy will now be complete. Your joy will be perfect. Why? Because he is constantly at the center of all things. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Because Jesus is the center of everything, we'll live in a world without the consequences of sin because sin is dead. Now, you might, if you read your Bible, you might say this to me. Um, In Romans 8, it says that we're to put sin to death. It's not saying to wait till you get to heaven. It's saying we need to be putting sin to death. What does that mean? That means we need to start fighting back against sin. We need to start striving for putting Christ at the center of all things. If that's how eternity is going to work, then maybe it will work here. If that's how God has intended it there... Then, then as Jesus even said, as, as your will be done on earth, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven operates that way, Jesus at the center of all things, putting sin to death, then let's do it now. Let's do it here. By putting our sin to death, how do we do it? We put Jesus at the center. We follow the law of Christ. You read the things that you read here. You, you listen to his teaching and you do it. And as you do it, what happens? Sin dies. Sin is put to death. Think about it like this. If you, let's say that there's a sin in your life. Let's say it got, it's gossip, right? So let's say like you can't help but talk about other people behind their back. You can't help but, but, you know, put other people down. Follow the law of Christ. And what does the law of Christ say? The law of Christ says to, to treat others like you'd be treated. To put others' needs first. To serve other people. Well, when you're serving other people and when you're putting their needs first, there's not a lot of room for gossiping about them. There's not a lot of room for hating them, Right? So as we, as we replace uh, uh, sin with the law of Christ, what happens to sin? It dies. It dies. It starts to lose its hold in our life. So let's, do, let's start that now. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. The third thing, the last thing, the people of heaven. Look at verse 5 through 6. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So what does this say about the people of heaven? Well, number one, it says that we stand righteous before God. What does that mean? Righteous? It means we stand right before God. We aren't sin-covered people before God. We aren't guilty before God. Look it says here in uh, in verse 6, it is done. What is done? us trying to make ourselves right. He's done it. He did it on the cross. He says He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Do you know what that means? That we no longer have any fear or guilt or shame as we stand before God, but we stand in confidence. Because why? It is done. Jesus has done it. You know, we had this funeral in this room for Debbie Smith, and we talked about, Brother John got up here and talked about her being courageous, and her not giving in to death ever, and her not being fearful. Why? Because she didn't have to be. Why? Because Jesus is the Alpha and Omega and it's done in him. He did it for her on the cross. And so she can stand before God righteous. And as she stood before him, and I'm sure she did, as she stood before him and and he said, why should I let you into my kingdom? She says, nothing I've done, it's all you. It's all what you've done for me. I'm simply yours. And I'm sure at that point Jesus took her in his arms and said, well done daughter, right? And so we can stand before God righteous. What else about the people of heaven? They're fully satisfied with God. Look at what he says. I will give from the springs of the water of life. Does that sound familiar? Does that, that phrase Jesus referring to himself as Dasani, does that sound familiar to any of you, right? The water of life. In John 4, he encounters a woman at the well. And remember, she's there and she's, she's trying to get water in the heat of the day. And she's, she, her life is one of never being content, of never being satisfied. Do you know why I know that? She lived a life that was lacking joy and never being truly content. Because she had five husbands and she was currently living with another boyfriend. If that's not the illustration, of someone who's not content with their life. I don't know what is, all right? She had Elizabeth Taylor syndrome, okay? And so what does Jesus say to her? He says this, everyone who drinks of this water that you're drawing out of this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's true joy and true contentment in Jesus. And think about it. It'll be perfect there. Think about in your lives the moments where you've been the closest to Jesus you feel like you've ever been, where you feel like he's almost tangible. Do you get what I'm saying? You feel like you feel like you could reach out and touch him. You, you know those moments? In those moments, I'm joy-filled. I'm content. You know, the world could, could blow up for all I care. You get what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm all about Jesus. But what happens we live in a busy world, and we live in a world that's constantly trying to upsell us, right? And we live in, and so, so all of a sudden we start to get distracted, and what do we do? We become like the woman at the well, and we start to chase other things for our contentment and for our happiness. And we do it, and we know when we're doing it, but we do it anyway. And, and, and imagine in heaven, what, what is it? Complete joy contentment all the time. No more chasing things that we know will only leave us thirsty. No longer chasing things that we know will not leave us content and happy and joy-filled, right? But how are we right before God? How are we fully satisfied? It says it will be fully satisfied, it says we're fully right. What gives us that right? Look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. The one who conquers what? I think it's the one who conquers a life of pointlessness that leads away from God. Jesus talked about, and we talked about it in here, there was a narrow road that led to life, and few found it, and that's leading to heaven, and there's a wide road that leads to destruction, and many walk it. I think the conquerors are those who choose life, those who choose to follow Christ, who say, you know what? All this this thing that the, the world's trying to sell me, this life that they're saying, hey, our way's better, live for yourself, that's a lot better, all of that junk, when you conquer that, when you say, I'm going this way. When I'm following Christ, then all of this is waiting for you. This becomes your heritage. But how do we become conquerors? Romans 8:37 says, "In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us." So what does that mean? Trust Jesus. Through the one who loved us. Trust what he did on the cross for you. Say, no longer my way, but I'm living for your way. And so that's how we become conquerors. And when we trust his love, he makes us conquerors. He's already done it on the cross. And he makes you a conqueror. And you say, what do I have to do? Trust him. Trust what he did and say, no longer my way, but this way. And what he just takes you in. He takes you in and he makes you a conqueror. Isn't that incredible? It's not that you have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and say, you know what? I'll beat alcohol, you know, and then I'll be a conqueror. Or you know what? I'll beat this anger problem I have. Or you know what? I'll fix my marriage and then I'll come to Jesus as a conqueror. You'll, that'll never happen. That'll never happen without him. He'll take you, he'll take you as you are, and he'll name you a conqueror. And he'll start conquering in your life. And then an amazing thing, he'll make you a conqueror through his love. Love wins. So when you do that, you'll be righteous before God and fully satisfied in him forever. But here's the thing. It starts now. I know we're talking about heaven, but it starts now. Look in Romans 8, 38-39. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you start knowing Him now, you start experiencing His love now. And you start conquering now. And you start experiencing His joy now. And you start to put sin to death now. And so it starts now. This description of heaven starts now. Is, that, is this a description of your life? Are you a person who actively is putting sin to death? Are you a person who is actively pursuing Him in all things, finding your satisfaction and contentment in Him above all things? Are you a person who seeks to put Him at the center of your relationships, at the center of your work, at the center of your family? Because in him, the consequences of sin die away, and in him, true life is found. Is that you, or are you saying, I'll get to that? Is that you? Is that starting now? Because the Bible says it starts now. His love is now. It's not something we wait for. It's something we experience now, and it changes us now. So as we close, what what about those who don't love Christ and aren't conquerors? Death defeats them, and they're separated from the love of God now and forever. Look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You live in death now. The consequences of sin are that death now, and you will live in death forever. Death wins. And so if you think, and you you thought about what I've said today, and you said, you know what? I don't pursue Jesus now. You know what? I, I don't desire Him now. Then... You're living in death now because you're not experiencing His life. You're not experiencing His joy and His love. And death will win. Death will conquer you. And you'll experience it forever. You'll be separated from His love forever. So my call to you is to trust Him today. Turn back. Come back today. Turn to Him and say, make me a conqueror. I don't want to live my way anymore. I trust what you've done for me on the cross. I trust you now. I give you my life now and become His. Do it today. And for Christians in this room, this reality, I'm talking about, yes, you living this this love now, you experiencing Him now, you pursuing Him now above all things, but don't get tunnel vision. Don't, Don't only think about yourself. There are people experiencing the consequences of sin and death now in their lives and they'll be conquered by death. Speak up. Tell them about the love of Christ. Tell them about their hope. Tell them about what Jesus has done for them. Tell them about the love and the joy and the forgiveness they can experience now and forever. So today I don't I don't know where you fall. You know, Christians, I hope that I can say today you'll walk out of this room and you'll test everything by the Scriptures of God and you'll test everything by the Word of God and that you'll go out today and you will, you will seek Him more than anything else and you'll desire Him more than anything else and you'll, you'll seek Him in His Word and here's the good news, you'll find Him and that you'll, you'll, you'll try to put Him in the law of Christ at the center of all that you do and you'll actively be putting sin to death in your life. And when you come up up head to head with sin and the desires of your heart are not the desires of God, that you will fight for the desires of God. And you'll replace those desires with what he tells you here, with the law of Christ. And you'll experience his love now. And you'll go out and share it. So Christians in this room, maybe I've described this heaven and I've described, you know, all of these things about enjoying Christ and all these things, and, and maybe it hadn't described you. So maybe there's some things you need to turn from in your life today. You can do that during this time, and I encourage you to do that. We're going to do something different. I told the ushers we're going to come up, but ushers chill. We'll do the offering at the end. We're going to have a a time of song, and and you guys can come forward. And Christians, there's some of you in this room that you need to come forward. And you need to come forward. Maybe you need to to pray with us. Maybe you need to make these steps an altar. But you need to come forward, and you need to turn from some things in your life. Maybe you're the woman at the well, and, and maybe you just run to something else and you've been trying to seek your joy and your satisfaction in something else and you just realized it and you need to turn, put that down and go back to the source of joy, the source of love for others in this room I've described that heaven's all about Jesus and if you don't desire him now and you're not trying to follow him now maybe you're not headed to heaven because nothing's gonna change And so for you, you're experiencing the consequences of sin now. You've got guilt in your life. You've got shame. You've got burdens in your life. And you're all alone. And death will defeat you. And it will defeat you forever. But here's the good news. As God said in the Old Testament, he even said, I put these two paths before you. Choose life that you may live. He's saying today, it's up to you. You can continue your own way, and you've been living it, and you know how it works or doesn't work. You can choose that, or I have life for you, I have joy for you, I have forgiveness for you. I'm not asking you to fix yourself, I'll do that. You just come to me, and you say, no longer my way, but your way. And you can be forgiven, and the Bible says you can have his heritage, it says you will be his child, you're loved by him now and forever. And so you, like Debbie Smith did this last week, you one day will stand before him and you won't do it guilty. You won't do it fearful. You'll do it with all the confidence in the world because you've been forgiven and you're his child forever. So if that's you, if you say, you know what, I haven't desired Jesus, I haven't followed him, then you come. When we sing you come and you grab Brother John, you grab me and you say, I need to follow Jesus. I need to surrender to Jesus today. So maybe it's you that needs to come. So I don't know what you need to do in this room. You do. We're going to sing a song. We're going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing this song. And you just come. Christians, if you need to come pray, come pray. If you need to come surrender to Jesus for the first time, you come and you surrender. But you do whatever you need to do during this time. Would you stand with us? Let me pray for us before we sing. Heavenly Father, there are people in this room... um, who we need to refocus. that God, you, we need to be defined by you. Having you at the center of all things. To point to you in all things. So God, would you convict us believers? Would you convict us of things in our, in our lives that are stealing affection away? Things of our lives that are distracting us? Things in our lives where we've been unfaithful. And God, would you, would you bring conviction on us for that? So that we can give that stuff up. We can turn away from that stuff. We can put it all where it belongs. We can put you number one again. We can put sin to death in our life and put you at the center. And God, for those in this room who don't know you. God, they know that they don't know you. And they know that when they leave this life, they'll be away from you forever. God, would you put the weight of that on them now? And would you you put in their hearts and and help them realize that you're waiting to give them this life. You're waiting. All they have to do is come. All they have to do is come and say, I want to follow Jesus. All they have to do is come and say, no longer my life. I want to live for Jesus now. And they can be forgiven. And they can walk out of here new. And they can walk out of here a child of God forever. Would you draw them forward as well? Have your way in this room.